Hi, this is David Teams. I'm the author of Godspeed, Voices of the Reformation, and you're listening to On Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. It's difficult to argue that Israel is not significant, that Israel is not important, and that Israel has not provided some very dramatic contributions to, to the human race. Well, thanks, David, for the introduction. I loved my conversation with David Teams. We covered everything from the beginnings of the early church, the Reformation. We even talked about Jesus cussing, believe it or not. You can hear that interview at onfaithsedge.com slash 91. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 91. Welcome to the 109th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I just spent a few days at the CBA Unite event in Nashville, Tennessee. I had the absolute privilege of speaking with Charlotte Pence. Charlotte is the daughter of Vice President Mike Pence. She has a new book called Where You Go, Life Lessons from My Father. I got to hang out a bit with uh, Dove Award winner Plum was there. Talked with her about her new book and her, her new album. It was great to see renowned pastor and Bible teacher James Gull. He has, of all things, a new CD coming out. These are just a few of the conversations that I had and had many conversations at the conference. I can't wait to bring them to you over the next several weeks. But a big shout out to Deborah Mash and the whole CBA Unite team for a wonderful experience in Nashville. If you're a Christian retailer, a Christian artist, author, entertainer, influencer in any way whatsoever, check out the CBA organization. Go to cbaonline.org. I really invite you to check out this organization. First class, well done conference, Deborah Mash and your team. Today, we welcome Doug Hershey as our special guest. Doug and I are going to discuss his new book, Israel Rising, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens. Doug is an author, conference speaker, and founder of Ezra Adventures, an Israel-focused travel and education company. Topping four Amazon bestseller charts, Israel Rising features more than 175 photographs from photojournalist Elise Monique Terrio that compare 100-year-old pictures of the Holy Land to current pictures taken from the same angle, revealing the miraculous changes in this region since the rebirth of Israel. Much of our conversation surrounds the miracle existence of the nation of Israel in the special place that God holds in his heart for his land and his people. Why did you write Israel Rising? Well, Israel Rising really became sort of a, a labor of love after years and years of, of being in Israel and traveling back and forth with, uh, with small groups and travel to my travel company, uh, Ezra Adventures. And, and just from my time from being there, just seeing a lot of the land change, um, you know, areas that used to be empty and, you know, really a, a, a desert is now, you know, orchards and fields or vineyards or, you know, building uh, thriving communities. And and as I was reading through the scriptures one day, and this and I say one day, this being you know five six years ago, um, you was reading through Ezekiel and realized you know, a lot of the changes that are starting to happen um, were things that our Bible talks about. And so I just began kind of putting those things together, and 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 then of course being able to share with friends that might never get to Israel to be able to show the some of the dramatic changes that are happening in the land. Uh, you know whether you go to Israel or not. You know, just having some of the um, some of the biblical context of the of the times that we're in. Because of the format of the book, uh, it's it, it can be difficult to describe just how 
significant this book is. Uh, number one, because of because of the photography work of Elise Monique Terrio, uh, absolutely captivating. But give us a synopsis of the book, what readers can expect when they pick it up, and what is it all about? Yeah, I had obtained uh, about 2,200 old photos originally about um, uh, several years ago that were taken between the 1880s and the 1940s. And uh, those those old black and whites were taken all over what was then the Ottoman Empire or the British Mandate of Palestine. And then went back with Elise uh, Terrio to, to reshoot those angles. She's, as you said, is a stunning photographer. Um, and just to reshoot those angles to show how much that the land has revived under Israeli sovereignty. And that in itself is significant because back in the Bible, in Ezekiel chapter 36, there's this entire chapter uh, about God speaking to the land. Ezekiel is told to speak to the mountains, to the rivers, to the valleys, to the ravines, and you know, hear the word of the Lord. And basically what he's saying is that when the Jewish people are out of the land, um, the land will be desolate. It'll be empty. It'll be really forgotten and just, you know, overrun by the nations. But when the land re- or when the, when the people return to the land, when the Jewish people return to the land, it says that, uh, you'll, you'll put forth branches and produce fruit. The land will be cultivated and sown. Um, the waste cities will be rebuilt. God will multiply both man and beast on, on the land and, and says to the land, you'll treat it better than what you were at the first. And so, Sort of in that journey between you know reading the scriptures and seeing some of the land, I began doing some some research and you know wondering is this what we're seeing now? Is there any other time in history? And so also included in the book, to that end, is eyewitness accounts from uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews for almost every century for the last two thousand years, describing what the land looked like, what the experience was, what happened you know with uh, with different invasions and. And so ultimately, in the last 2000 years, what's happened is that um, the land has been conquered and reconquered multiple times. It never becomes a homeland for any other people group. And the land itself would physically not produce for anyone else until the Jewish people returned. And now, you know, the you know, branches are putting forth fruit. The land is being cultivated and sown. It's, you know, Israel is, is the only nation on earth right now where the deserts are shrinking and not expanding. And major, major exports of flowers and vegetables and fruits are, are coming out of the desert to all throughout Europe, Western Europe, and even some to the U.S. as well. And so all of that to say, I've been wrapping, you know, part of the, of, of the photos is, is to wrap in this aspect of this ancient prophecy from Ezekiel and the last 2,000 years of history and then compare that with these old black and white photos compared to, you know, the, the shots from today. So it really is a, a, a then and now book uh, wrapped around these prophecies of, of Ezekiel that, that these very specific prophecies of Ezekiel that are clearly coming true now, uh, especially since, since 1948. Why is understanding Israel's then and now significant to Christians today, though, Doug? Well, it's it's significant in that it's it's really more than I, I look at it as the author. I look at it as more than a then and now. That uh, there's lots of really beautiful then and now books from a lot of places, and sometimes people will say, you know, that uh, you know any place looks better now than it did a hundred years ago. And while that's true, there's no other nation on earth that's had its history foretold uh, 2,600 years ago uh, ahead of time. Not not the Greeks, not the Persians. Uh, not the Chinese, the Romans, you know, pick somebody, nobody has it. 
And here, uh, God had laid those things out very clearly 2,600 years ago, and we're seeing it unfolding it literally down to the chapter and line and verse. And so why that's significant for, for Christians, whether you have an understanding of Israel or in the Bible or what's going on, at the very least, we're seeing that God really actually means what he says and says what he means when it comes to Bible prophecy. You know, sometimes when we when we talk about Bible prophecy, we talk about who could this person be or who could that nation be? And, and you know, we talk about timeline timelines and when does this happen and what does what happens first? And and it's all speculation. Whereas here, you know, we're, we're talking about it more a little less as a then and now book and a little bit more of this is photographic evidence that the Bible is coming to pass exactly the way God said. It's not allegorical. It's not symbolic or spiritual or, you know, some, you know, uh, some spiritual parallel. The deserts really are blooming. The, the, the waste and forgotten cities of the Bible, they're being rebuilt. The, the desert is producing roses and flowers and export. The land really is being treated better than what it was at, at first. For the first time ever this coming year in 2018, the export business or the, the, the exports coming out of Israel is expected to cross one billion or a hundred billion dollars. Those numbers are staggering for any nation, let alone one that's been you know, only you know, functioning for the last 70 years as a, as a nation. And so the land really is being treated better than it was at first. And there's some really astounding things that are happening. And just being able to, to see those visuals side by side is one of the ways we can see that. You know, when we talk about ancient prophecy, uh, so many times we, the argument is, well, that's kind of taken out of context. That's not really what was meant at the time. That's not meant for this time. But in this case, Doug, there is, you have photographic evidence, stunning photographic evidence of, of these changes taking place and these, uh, uh these prophecies coming true. Yeah, and and I'm I'm kind of a, along with you, and maybe even some of your some of your listeners that may even be listening to this now. I'm I tend to be a bit of a skeptical guy, which is why I did the research for the last two thousand years, thinking, okay, has this is this really the time? Am I really reading this right? Did this happen maybe a couple hundred years after? And 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 again, in the book, there's a there's a timeline that I included of after. Um, after the time that Ezekiel spoke this 2,600 years, who was in charge of the land up until 1948? And so I have all of that spelled out. And then on top of that, describing, uh, you know, reading from from Muslims uh, about how that the the land was desolate. I've I've got a quote in the in the um, in the book from the 10th century, from a Muslim writer who's complaining. This is 300 years after the Arab conquest in Jerusalem, that uh, that he's complaining that there's there's no worshippers in the mosque and the majority of the population of Jerusalem is Jewish. And so this is coming from a Muslim writer and he's just saying like, like nobody's here. And so, uh, you know, as coming all the way up to 19, uh, 1948, um, there really wasn't much going on. In fact, you know, Mark Twain, there's a section in the book as well about Mark Twain. Many people are familiar with his writings and when he had gone through the land. And, and again, talking about Jerusalem, he talked about, you know, in, in 1867, he talked about the city. It was so small that a fast walker could walk around the entire city in about an hour. And, you know, and he talked about uh, just being an empty, desolate, forgotten place. He, he's, you know, one of the, you know, with sort of his witty kind of writing, I love it. He, you know, he talks about you know, being somewhere and seeing sheep on the, on the other hillside. And he said, they're eating gravel. And he said, I, you know, they can't really be eating gravel, but there's nothing else for them to eat. 
And, and so he just talks about this r- remarkable wasteland. And so right about that time and that same era is about the time that we have that modern camera about the, the mid 1850s, 1840s at the modern, uh, really even earlier 1820s where the modern camera is invented. And just simply when we start seeing these old black and white photos, it just gives credence and validation to the fact that for the last 1800 years, the eyewitness accounts really weren't exaggerating. It really was desolate and really was empty. We can't, I, I mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but we can't let pass talking about the photographs, uh, the work of Elise Monique Terrio. Um, how did you, how did you find Elise? How did you get her involved in this project? And frankly, this project could not have been done without this, this stunning, captivating work. Yeah. I actually knew Elise's family, um, years ago. In fact, I knew her parents before I knew her and she had, uh, come with her family on, uh, on one of my, uh, trips with uh, Ezra adventures, one of my travel companies and, and had this idea, I had this idea of sort of rolling around in my head and, and I was seeing uh, some of the, the photos that she was taking just on the trip. And I, you know, with, when I'm, I'm back and forth Israel quite a bit, I see lots of pictures of, of, uh, of the land and she was just capturing things that I just hadn't seen before. And I was just really um, just perspectives and just unique angles and of, of places that I was familiar with and was going, wow, this is really beautiful. And so I began talking with her about that and, um, you know, and, and it just, it just worked out really great. And, and so, um, you know, to be able to go with her to a lot of these locations, I, I did a lot of the, the research to find the locations, but you know, she, uh, she lined it up and, and did a phenomenal job with it. Doug, this book, Israel Rising, uh, has hit number one on four Amazon charts. Why do you think this project is resonating so much? Uh, you know, a, a couple of things. One is that I've been told by um, both Christians and Jews that, um, and even Orthodox rabbis in Jerusalem, that nothing like this has been done before. While there has been some then and now photo work that's been done, nothing has been done that's been quite this extensive. There's, there's over 100 photo comparisons in the book from over 25 locations all over Israel. And, um, and, and just the fact that it's Israel's 70th anniversary, there's, there's something profound uh, about that, that time and season. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's funny, a lot of the, the photo work that we did, we shot in 2016, which was, you know, some of the photos were about two years ago. In fact, this time, two years ago, this time we were in Israel shooting the photo book project. And I actually didn't plan on it and to be a 70th anniversary book. I just wanted to put it together and, and, you know, see what we could do with it. And, and then there were some legal delays and permission with certain photographs and there was some of this and some of that. And it just, it was this long, slower process. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm complaining to God about why isn't this getting done and I've got all this stuff and why are we just sitting around? And, it, you know, <laughs> you know and in hindsight, I, I guess, um, you know, I say kind of tongue in cheek, I guess, I suppose God knew what he was doing because it was, it, um, it, 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 we were, we were just really ahead of the curve for, for the 70th and had everything ready to go. And, and, and like you said, I mean, you keep talking about the photos, the, the, the photos themselves, they really are, they're, they're really just, they're really dramatic. And then to be able to tie that in with the backdrop of history and, and Bible prophecy, apparently there's, there's never been a book that's really tied those things together yet. Right now, as we're talking, it's May 16th, uh, 2018, two days beyond the anniversary of, of Israel being recognized as a nation in 1948. What are some of the most significant changes in Israel that you've seen and that your that your book uh, documents? 
uh, really one of the most stunning is really the very first thing that Ezekiel mentions is about that the branches will put forth fruit. Um, one of the the really ridiculous sort of taxation policies that the Ottomans had when they were ruling the region for 400 years between 1517 and 1917 is that they taxed uh, they taxed the people according to the amount of trees that they had on their land. And so, you know, if, if you don't want to pay taxes, what do you do? I mean, you, you, you cut down all the trees and and that completely devastates the entire region. I mean, just it, entire entire forests were leveled. Uh, ancient irrigation, um, uh, you, know, you know, irrigation patches, irrigation for, you know, for, for ancient terraces, for, for growing crops. All of that was really just fell into disrepair. It was, it was uh, really just destroyed and erosion took over. Topsoil was blown away. Animal populations leave. Weather patterns change over the region. And so most historians agree that it's during that Ottoman rule that, um, that the land really suffered one of the one of the greatest you know desolations of you know for thousands of years. All of that coming up into the early, uh, really the late 1800s, early 1900s. The Jewish National Fund, the JNF, uh, reports that they've planted over 250 million trees in the last 100 years. Wow, that that is a lot of trees, and all of them were were planted by hand. And, and so what's happened is literally entire forests in, in Israel have all been replanted. Topsoil, you know, returns within five to 10 years just through natural means, you know, with seeds dropping and more growth and things just begin to grow. And in that time, weather patterns have begun changing again for the better, more, more dew, more uh, rainfall. Um, and, uh, and so just that in itself has really dramatically changed. So there's a, there's a couple photos that in the book where we went to a particular location or a particular uh, kibbutz or community that I was looking primarily at, at the kibbutz to see how much the, that the buildings had changed or how much expansion that there was. And, and, and what was really stunning was the mountainside behind it in the black and white photo, the, the mountainside was, uh, was barren. And in the new photo, it was, there was a forest on it. And, um, and again, so there are a lot of these really stark, you know, visual, um, you know, examples of, of, uh, of Ezekiel's words coming to pass. The very first thing Ezekiel says is you'll put forth branches and you'll produce fruit. And that's really how the, the, one of the most dramatic changes in the land began. What are you most proud of on this project? I've been really honored that it's been being picked up by both uh, Jewish and Christian audiences and, and even, um, you know, even secular audiences. I've, it's funny. I've got, um, I, I had some, some uh, pre-orders uh, and some backers of our crowdfunding years ago that were our Jewish guys living in Tel Aviv who very openly said, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're atheists, but we really you know, like the book. It's, you know, the, the, the photos are really compelling. And I said, well, you know, it's, you know, not only are the photos compelling, I mean, the, the, the photos are verifying your profits. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. it's, 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 it's giving credence to your own history. So, and so I have an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who wrote the foreword to the book. Um, it's been very well received within Christian audiences as well. And so I'm, I'm speaking in both churches and in synagogues. I'm also doing things for, uh, I've done some, some meetings in Atlanta for, for APAC, uh, which is a large Israel lobby, um, the IAC, which is the, the Israel, uh, American committee or American council. I've done some things with the Israeli consulate general in the Southeast. So, so it's, I know of, uh, of leaders, in, in Israel who have a copy that are getting it into the Knesset and are looking to get it into bookstores as well. And so I'm, I'm really, 
whether I say proud or honored or flattered or, 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 or humbled, I guess is the real word, is that I'm, I'm just really, um, really humbled that it's gone as far and wide as it did in a very short amount of time. And so it, even some of those Amazon categories where we were number one for a time, there were some within Christian categories and there were some that was also in Jewish categories. And so that just spoke to the credence of, of you know, it's not just a Christian book. It's not just a then and now book. It's really touching a, a, a wide and broad audience, which is, um, you know, it's really humbling for me. The book is called Israel Rising, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens. Very well done, Doug. Can we talk a little bit about your personal faith? Sure. Absolutely. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? Uh, you know, I was raised in a, in a Christian home uh, in Pennsylvania. It's, it's funny with a last name like Hershey, sometimes when I'm speaking places, I'll, I'll have somebody that'll come up to me afterwards and, and ask, uh, you know, say, I've got a question and I'm expecting like, you know, something about biblical prophecy or history or something like that. And, and it's, you know, are, are you related to the Hershey people? And so it's, you know, are, are you related to the chocolate people? But yes, I, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, about an hour from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, I am distantly, re- distantly related, but, um, you know, as I say, there's, there's no inheritance or no free chocolate, but, but, uh, but anyhow, I, I grew up in a Christian home and on a farm there, um, was always in, in church and just really had just a, a, always a, a, a hunger and a desire for, for the word and for scriptures. And, um, I graduated from a Christian high school, and I felt like that for me personally, by the time that I graduated high school, I felt like that I had a better understanding of God's heart for 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 dealing with Israel and, and obedience and disobedience and his his grace and his mercy through reading about the prophets and reading the uh, about Israel than I did of even some of understanding some of Paul's letters and some of those things. And so I've always had this sort of you know desire for for the Middle East, for Israel, for understanding the scriptures, but also really finding the heart of Jesus all through, uh, you know, all through the Old Testament. So that's always been sort of this kind of unique little thing. And, you know, that's um, that I feel like that God's placed in me from from a very young age. How do you how did God cultivate this this love for Israel, this interest in Israel and this interest in this reason in this region in you, Doug? How did that how did that manifest itself other than, of course, a uh, writing a book in 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always sort of been there. Like I said, it's always been sort of this personal journey. And, you know, you, you kind of follow, you know, the things that the Lord puts on your heart and the things that kind of stir your heart and excitement, you know, excite you in the word. And again, I've always sort of been drawn, drawn to Israel and the Bible. And, and, um, and at one point as a, you know, as a teenager, it, you know, I, it's like a light bulb went on and I went, wait a minute, the Israel and the Bible is the same as the Israel in the Middle East. Like it's the same family. It's the same bloodline. Like I I've, I've got to go, I've got to connect this. And, and then of course, with, you know, the more we get into to the Bible as a whole, the, the Bible is Jewish, you know, it's written by Jewish authors. Mm-hmm. It's about, it's about the, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and King David, who had a promise that there's going to be a man who's going to rule from his family line that will rule his family for a rule the rule israel forever rule the earth and of course jesus being jewish his disciples are jewish i mean it's 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 difficult to pull israel out of the bible and have it make sense and so for me i always felt like that that um i felt like the more i i really you know prayed on it and really studied um uh israel and and um 
things that are happening today and just and, and you know really recognizing what God's heart was for Israel to me that just all really pointed back to the Messiah pointing back to Jesus I just had uh Rabbi Jonathan Burnus on the show he's a Sure. Messianic. Do you know Do you know Jonathan or know of yeah, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do know him. I, uh, I did a show a few months back. He's fantastic, man. He yeah, he's a great really, guy. Really good guy. And he and I talked about uh, the, the Messianic Jewish movement. I set myself up by asking the question, uh, well, when did the Messianic Jewish movement really, really, really kick off? And he said, well, it really started <laughs> off about 2,000 years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I can, I can hear his answer to that question. Right. But he saved, you know, he, he, he let me off the hook and kind of described the, the modern day messianic Jewish movement. Yeah. And as Christians, we need to recognize the special place that, that this place has in to God and, and the, the special place that these people hold in God's heart. And we need to recognize, we certainly need to recognize that as, as Christians. I agree. And I think that even now, I think that's really one of the most profound aspects about the United States moving their embassy to, to Jerusalem, because you know, it's, it's not that anyone is recognizing that, that now Jerusalem is finally the capital of Israel. It's always been the capital of Israel since King David put it there you know, 3,000 years ago or established it as so. It's just simply that the nations of the earth are simply recognizing um, what Anybody who reads the Bible has already known. Ezekiel 5 5 says that God has placed Jerusalem in the center of the earth. Zechariah, uh, gosh, 8 says that, you know, he, God is zealous for Zion and he's returning to Jerusalem to live you know, in the midst of his people. And that Zechariah 14 says all nations one day will be going to Jerusalem to worship the king there. And, you know, all through the Psalms, God says that he's, he's, um, he's, he desires that place to be a place where he dwells forever. He tells Solomon as he's dedicating the temple, my eyes and my heart are always at this place. And so it's the only place on earth that God says over and over and over, there's something special about it. And I'm choosing to dwell there, you know, and I'm placing my name there forever. So just the fact that even today, you know, there's, there's so much, you know, there had been so much uproar about embassies moving to, to Jerusalem and, and really, to me, it's just simply recognizing um, what the Bible has always said is that Jerusalem is a significant place, not just simply a significant place, but it's a place where um, where God has already established his plan and his purpose and will continue to, to unfold it from that location. And so, you know, I, I think for, for, for Christians, you know, again, as we're talking even about Bible prophecy, I mean, there's so much of it that's really coming to pass. And not that I think that the moving the embassy to Jerusalem was was Bible prophecy, but it does say that that all the nations of the earth will eventually be coming you know, to Jerusalem. So it's like you know, we're, we're just we're just a little ahead of the curve. You know, it's like everybody's going to be going eventually, you know, according to the Bible. And it's just amazing to see. I mean, a hundred years ago, and I, again, I've got photos of it. A hundred years ago, nobody cared about Jerusalem. Today, everybody's you know fighting over it and arguing about it, and everybody's up and you know has their concerns. But God has a plan. He's laid it all out in Scripture, and it's amazing even to see the nations of the earth starting to even you know recognize that on a small way by saying we need to move our embassy from you know and, and you know from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem you know so it's not only the United States there's there's uh, Honduras there's Guatemala there's some other nations right now as we're talking about that are even you know considering and planning on the same move which is really stunning uh, I'm very skeptical about faith uh, I I'm skeptical skeptical about Christianity in and of itself 
Um, I'm mm-hmm. a rock solid believer in Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian. But uh, I, I struggle with I struggle with I struggle with my faith, Doug. Mm-hmm. And I think Mark Twain. We brought you mentioned Mark Twain earlier. Mark sure. Twain also said that just the sheer existence of the Jewish people is proof that God exists. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something that I, I, I love having conversations about um, is to be able to let's put the Bible aside and let's talk about what God has done with the Jewish people or, or just let's not even mention God. Let's remove God. Let's remove the Bible. Let's just talk about what what a unique anomaly the Jewish people really are. And so there's been no other people group anywhere in human history that have been on a particular piece of land. It has then been forcibly removed for 70 years or, or, or any time to come back to the same piece of land, to be there for a few hundred years, to again be forcibly removed and then scattered to the ends of the earth for 2000 years. And then after 2000 years to come back to the exact same piece of real estate as an identifiable, a recognizable people speaking the same language, the same traditions, the same religious beliefs and, and customs. That that's an anomaly in human history. It has never happened before on any time ever on any piece of land with anybody. It just happens to be the only people group that the God of the Bible says that he's made an everlasting covenant with. It's it's the same thing with the Hebrew language. Hebrew is the only language that was considered a dead language and only being used in you know, liturgical purposes, you know, you know, 100 years and you know, prior that that has ever been revived as a common unifying language for the people who originally spoke it. So not Latin, not Aramaic, not, you know, pick a dead language. You know, Hebrew is a a hundred years ago, Hebrew was considered a dead language. You know, today there's millions of people studying it. I've, I've got an app on my phone, you know, that, that I can be studying it. There's been no other language like in human history that has been considered a dead language. That's been you know brought back to, to life as a common unifying purpose, let alone for the people who originally spoke it. And so then, you know, again, I mean, we could talk on this all day, but I mean, there's going into some of the wars and some of the conflicts since 1948, you know, the war of independence in 1948, Israel's being invaded by five well-trained, well-equipped armies. They don't, at the beginning of the war, they don't have a, they don't have one plane. They, they've got, uh, they've got a couple armored vehicles. They got a few tanks and they've got just a couple cannons. They don't have enough guns for the people and they don't have enough ammunition for the guns and they're being invaded. Uh, they're outnumbered four to one of, of well-trained Arab soldiers to, you know, like one Jewish farmer or Holocaust survivor. I mean, these, these are un- insurmountable odds that should have been very, very quickly you know, overrun in a very short amount, amount of time as far as militarily. And it wasn't till eight or nine months later that they're just signing peace agreements to, to end some of the armed conflict. And point being is this, this type of, of factual, verifiable evidence and proof uh, can be found by, by just simply reading. Uh, and at some point, you have to come along and saying, why is it that the Jewish people keep showing up in unique anomalies throughout human history? Why is it that it's Hebrew is the is the language of the Jewish people. Why is it that uh, that it's it's the same language that almost three quarters of the of the Bible is was originally written in? How is it that they're winning these wars without any weapons and without strategy and with like how is this happening? At some point, you have to connect. There's something divine at work, and for those of us that you know have 
you know, can, can actually, you know, acknowledge perhaps that, um, you know, that we're blind or wrong in some areas. We have to acknowledge that there's a manuscript that foretold the whole thing thousands of years ago, and it's the Bible. And so there's just so many unique things that are happening. And, and to me, again, going back to Israel's 70th anniversary, um, it, it's, it's just simply uh, one of the most profound demonstrations, I, I believe, of God's faithfulness that we've seen in really thousands of years to regather a people group that have been scattered to the corners of the earth back to the very same piece of real estate as Abraham was promised thousands of years ago. God is keeping his word exactly as he said. And again, even if you're not, if you're struggling with issues with God or the Bible or whatever, it's, it's difficult to recognize. Uh, it, it's difficult to, um, to, to argue that Israel is not significant, that Israel is not important and that Israel has not you know, provided some very dramatic uh, contributions to, to the human race. You, you, you grew up as a Christian, Doug, uh, you had, you had a, a Christian childhood, a Christian upbringing. Uh, did you maintain that faith through your teenage years and into adulthood? Uh, mostly. Yes. I mean, I, I've, you know, had, um, you know, I, I had a few rough years, I suppose it as, as many people do, but, but, uh, all in all, I mean, I, I always knew that there was, there was a, 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 a calling and a stirring, uh, not only on my life, but also of just feeling the closeness as, and the presence of God. You know, I, even on the in the in the years where I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, um, ultimately I, I knew what was right. You know, it was you know that's it's the old verse of training up a child in the way that she he'll, he'll go, and then when he's old he'll you know he'll return to it, <clears throat> and you know and um, regardless of of where I had been and and the and just sort of the the nonchalant attitude I, I had for quite a while. I always really knew you know, where the truth was, and a lot of that was was um, you know placed in me from an early age. At what point in your life, though, did you did you say you know as an adult or teenager, whatever it might be, at what point in your life did you plant your flag and you said, "I believe this stuff." Uh, it was really when, um, probably uh, in my late teens, I, I had uh, I really began seeing some dramatic uh, miracles in my own life. I had uh, I I was very active. I played soccer quite a bit and um, was uh, was overseas and actually was playing soccer a little bit overseas and had planted my foot and it rolled over and I heard the cracking and the popping and had uh, had broken my ankle and went for X-rays and there was a very clear break and very clear crack. And the doctor said, we're going to you know, turn your leg a little bit and we're going to reshoot it just to see how, how bad, but you know, we're, you're probably looking at a, you know, at a 12, 12 week cast at least. And he stepped out of the room and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new, new in this and, and kind of growing and kind of, uh, you know, trying it out, see if it's real or not, I guess you could say. And I, I put my hands on my ankle and I said, Lord, I believe that you made my bones and I believe you can fix this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in a plaster cast. I asked you, you heal that crack. And uh, the next x-ray came back and there was no crack. And the doctor said, I don't know what that first one was about, but, you know, and, you know, within a, a week or so, I mean, I was walking on it. So it went from a very clear crack with an evidence on of, of a healing through two different x-rays, one with a crack that was there in an ankle and one that, that, that wasn't. And so there was some very dramatic things like that, that, that um, I went, okay, this is real. Like, this is like, I, I understand some of the other factual things, but for me personally, that was just one of many 
experiences where I'm going, okay, I, I can't deny this, you know, anymore. And I suppose not that I was denying it, but it was just like, you know, you know, this is, uh, you're, it's just time to be all in, you know? As we wrap up, Doug, what would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Yeah, I think that God is more than able to um, prove himself real uh, and prove himself uh, as faithful and that he actually responds. I mean, either the Bible is true or if it, it isn't. And so, you know, you certainly um, are, don't need to believe because I'm telling you to or somebody else tells you to. You need to find your own. And really, the only way you do that is just by by saying, Lord, you know, show me, like prove to me. Um something that I have no way of explaining, no way that I can explain it away, something that I haven't told anybody or whatever, like, you know, speak to me in a way that, you know, if this is real, make it clear. And, um, and I, I think that the Holy Spirit is really jealous to answer those types of questions and, and to really, you know, prove who he is just simply because he loves us and he's, he's come after us from the beginning. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Doug Hershey, Israel Rising. Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens, an Amazon number one bestseller for a very good reason. Thanks for coming on the show, brother. Hey, thanks, Joe. It's been great. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Israel Rising, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens is available on Amazon.com. Doug's website is EzraAdventures.com. And these links and other links can be found in today's show notes at OnFaithSedge.com slash 109. That's on faithsedge.com slash one zero nine. I love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertains you, encourages you, informs you, or brings value to you in any way whatsoever, will you consider backing the show? The best way you can do that right now is to use any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com. We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, but it doesn't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Doug Hershey for being with us. And thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you.